So we're looking at the last in our series of Jesus' parables this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to uh, Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Um, we're going to see God's heart, God's heart today. It's always an honour to preach on the character of God, because the character of God is always the first thing that kind of gets slandered. And once the character of God's been slandered in your mind, all kinds of crazy stuff can happen, because you start to have kind of warped views of God, and all the trouble starts from there. In fact, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what happened. Things were going really well, and then um, the serpent said to Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any of, the, any of the trees? God has said you can eat from every tree you like, just not that one. But the whole idea was, was to try to get Eve to be thinking that God's somehow trying to ruin things, spoil things, restrict things, trying to just bring life into um, a kind of a suffocating, uh, very small and narrow um, alleyway which would keep us from all the wonders that we could be enjoying, when really it was the opposite. God said to Adam and Eve, run, enjoy, um, make the most of, it's just that one thing. So it gets flipped and God's made out to be a sport. So it's a privilege to be able to preach on this parable we're going to look at in a moment because it helps us to understand the heart of God and the character of God and it helps crazy ideas that just get kind of put in there to be washed away. So um, Luke chapter 15, we'll start with the first couple of verses to give us a bit of context what's going on. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we've got two groups of people, tax collectors who everyone hated because they were Jewish, but they worked for the Romans, they worked for the occupying force. So a similar illustration with World War II, um, the French who sided with the occupying Nazis... Um, hated by the rest of the French. When uh, France was liberated, they were often brought out into the town squares. Um, The women particularly, head head was shaved, you know, they would be beaten, etc. Hated. Why? Because they took the side of the occupying force. Tax collectors, exactly the same. They would would collect the taxes from their own people, which would be, two things would happen with that money. Um, Primarily, it would be paid to the occupying force, and often the tax collectors would take a bit extra and line their own pockets. Everyone hated them. They were coming to Jesus, and Jesus was receiving them. Okay? And then the sinners. Now, surely the Bible teaches we're all sinners. What's being got at here? What's being got at? It was those who were reputed as sinners. Those who were, like, known as the bad types. You know, um, we read about um, prostitutes, we read about ruffians, we read about political, violent political extremists and the like were gathering to Jesus and he received them. It's the first group. The second group are the religious people. The ones who know God and follow God strictly. And don't just follow the rules but make up extra rules just to be on the safe side. And the ones who are very aware of the fact that they're with God, they're on God's side, they're doing God's work, they're not like that lot, they're different, they're with God. And they're looking at Jesus, who's supposed to be a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet from God, and all these other things. And he's receiving the bad guys, 
The bad guys like him and he seems to like them. And so we've got tension in the air. That's the context for the parable we're going to look at today. Jesus teaches three stories to try to combat and speak into the situation. We won't look at the first one or the second one. We're going to look at the third one, which starts in verse 11. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. Two groups, two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. I hear Music and dancing. What can it mean? And he said to him, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, I pray that you would blast us with your heart this morning, that we would really get what you're like. 
really be moved and amazed again by your incredible welcome of us into your family. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Two groups Jesus is speaking to. Two brothers in the story. You haven't got to be a theologian or a rocket scientist to work out that Jesus is using the story of the two brothers to represent the two groups. And it's wider than just the two groups that were around when Jesus was teaching. Do you know what? Pretty much everyone in this room is one or the other or a mixture. And uh, it seems like, rather frighteningly, um, it's not that obvious which group is in the worst situation. It's not really obvious that one of the groups are really in trouble and need a lot of help. The other group's in a little bit of trouble and just need to watch it. They're both in big trouble. Both groups, both sons, have got it seriously wrong. And... uh, They're actually in, well, victims, if you like, of the same disease, even though the symptoms are so different. Maybe I'll use a different illustration. Maybe victims of a disease isn't that helpful. In their hearts, the same force or power is at work, and yet it manifests completely differently. The the, the thing is called sin. Right, And, and the, the Bible teaches that we're gripped by it. But the weird thing about it is even though we're under its grip, it's also, it's, it's a willful thing on our part. So it's not just that we're under this thing and oh, we're being dragged that way, even though there's a slavery to it. The way it works is that it's an expression of our own willfulness away from God. So if it is a disease, it's a disease of the will. It's not just that you are a passive victim. Sin doesn't work like that. Sin is very full of desires and full of willfulness. So really we've got the older brother and the younger brother, both in the grip of sin. But the way it manifests is completely different. You wouldn't think they were part of the same problem. I mean, it's like, you know, imagine going to someone covered in, I don't know, red spots and welts lying in a bed. And you say, what's up? And they say, oh, it's chicken pox. You say, okay. You go along to the next bed and you find the other person whose skin is perfectly smooth, but their left eye is just really saggy. You say, what's up with you? Chicken pox. You think, surely not. If you had chicken pox, you'd be covered in red welts. Or maybe this person's got it wrong. If you had chicken pox, your skin would be fine, but your left eye (laughs) would be looking saggy. Obviously, an illustration on the spot. Otherwise, the left eye thing would have been a bit more medical. Okay, But the point is this. Normally, when people are suffering with the same disease or under the grip of the same thing, how it looks is similar. You think, well, yes, a similar kind of deal. But there couldn't be two people more further apart than the younger brother and the older brother. I mean, if these were real people, they would be the kind of brothers that would constantly rub each other up the wrong way. You know those kinds of siblings? Maybe you've got one. Okay? They're just so different from you. Did you come from the same place? Were you swapped in hospital? All of those questions frequently go around your mind. Uh, because it's like, we're just so different. Every, you are spontaneous to the point of being a nightmare. I am calculated to the point of being perfect. You know, that whole kind of deal. Or the other way around. And 
decent, this is the younger brother and the older brother. But Jesus wants us to understand through this story, it's not some personality deal. It's not, it's much deeper than that. It's moral. It's a spiritual thing that's going on. And it's the same thing, sin. But the way it manifests to these different people is North Pole, South Pole. But because it's the same thing, they both need the same medicine. They both need grace. They both need the grace of God. I want to speak to you about the grace of God today, about the welcome of the Father. Really the similar thing, just one sounds more theological or doctrinal than the other. Sin is such a tricky thing. It's, like an, it's a bit like an escapologist, really, sin. Sin will do all it can to escape the true God. So what sin will do, it will drive people that are naturally younger brothers to become older brothers. Or the opposite. doesn't matter, okay, as long as the true God is not met. As long as the real God is not met in an intoxicating and a relationship of passionate, enthusiastic love. As long as that doesn't happen, sin is happy for younger brothers, older brothers, and everything in between. Because sin simply must escape God. Sinful people must escape God. It's part of what sin is all about. It's not about escaping religion. Because religion and God are very different things. But finding God is is the thing that as far as sin is concerned, it mustn't happen. We're going to just try and get into the group one, the younger brothers, and then we're going to hit the older brothers. You're one or the other, or you've got a mixture of both in you. Grace is the answer. We're going to look at how that will deal with this disease or these symptoms, if you like. What has to happen to a younger brother in order to find grace? Maybe you're here today and you are reckless. Or maybe no one even knows that you're reckless. You've got a reckless side to you that no one in church knows about. And you come to church with your woolly number on and everyone thinks you're safe. You've got your woolly jumper on. But really, you are reckless and wild. And you know what? During the week, you do things that no one in this church has any idea you do. And if they found out, you'd be horrified. Because at your heart, you're a younger brother. You're up to all sorts. You are up to all sorts. Now, how could we deal with that? Well, we could bring in some rules and regs. We could bring in some strong oversight. Danger is what? You become an older brother. Right? Right? Am I right? You become an older brother. You learn what to do and you learn what not to do and you become a miserable, nasty, bitter, religious person. If that's going to be the fruit of this church, why don't we all just pack up and go? Amen? Amen. What do you need, you reckless ones? What do you need? Well, let's look at what happened to the younger brother and we'll see what you need. Firstly, you need to, there's something that you need to see. See, he, this, he took his money and he went and the prostitutes and all of that. But what it led to, there was a famine that came and it led to poverty. And it's a spiritual picture, really. It's a picture of the fact that 
You need to understand, and it, it may not be that even my sermon does it today, God in his wisdom will deal with you as and when. But at some point, you need to see, you need to see the poverty that your recklessness will lead to. You've got to see it for yourself. Okay? You can't, you can't bang it into someone. You can't get them in a headlock and... Da, da, da. You can't do that. I can't just arrange a fortnight of meetings and you must come to everyone and I will tell you off. Okay? It's just... Come on. You need to see somehow that reckless living, morally reckless, just kind of sleeping around, and whether it's in reality or in fantasy or however you go about it, you need to have a, a revelation, a genuine one, that gets, reaches very deeply that, you know what, it, the result is always poverty. It doesn't go anywhere good. Because once you've seen that, then actually what happens in your heart is, is that you no longer are the, are the Christian who's kind of, oh, I can't do that. It's a shame. Because <laughs> that's really not, not a Christian mentality. You're the Christian who's got it. You've understood. That is really a dead end. That's really a cul-de-sac. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I'm not into that anymore. Yeah? A revelation. It's what came to the son, the younger son. He's like, man, look at where this has got me. You need that. You need to understand that that is the case. And it may be that you're the person who will hear a sermon and God in his mercy will grip your heart and you'll repent and, and you see it. A revelation comes. Or maybe you're that person who needs to learn by mistake after mistake after mistake. And there are those people out there and it's a shame, it's a tragedy to see it happen. But it's, it's, it, and it's like stumbling from one disaster to the next. And you think, you're sitting watching, you're looking on thinking... When are you going to see that? Just step back and see where it goes. There is a way that seems right to a man, says Proverbs, but its end is death. We're told that he came to himself. We're told that there came a point when he reached poverty where he came to himself. That's the next step. That you actually, you actually, it's like you wake out, you snap out of the dream. And so many times, you know, you pass the people and you, they're talking and you think, you're in fantasy land. You haven't seen, you have not seen what's happened in your life, the consequences of what you said or done. You don't get it. You're still, you're still thinking like things are going okay or you're still thinking you can do this and it'll work and you think, you need to come to yourself. There's a wake up that needs to come by the Holy Spirit where you see yourself and you realise, do you know what? If I carry on living this independent, autonomous life, I'm really going to screw it up. I'm really not going to bear any fruit. That's called coming to yourself. You realise who you are, that you are made for a relationship with God, that you're not made to just go off and figure it out. God doesn't want that for you. He loves you too much. He wants to father you. Fathers are coaches, right? If fathers aren't coaches, then what are they? Fathers want to coach their kids and say, Look, let me just talk you through this. You know when you're doing this, you're starting school, you might meet some kids who... They're a bit big and a bit tough. Here's how you want to handle them. You want to coach them through, talk them through. That's what fathers do. The father wants to say to you, come on, let, let me teach you about life. Look, come on, I've got these great things called the Bible. Loads of amazing wisdom in it. I want to teach you about this. Take my word for it. I know how this thing works. He wants to coach you. In order to allow yourself to be coached, you've got to come to yourself and realise, I don't get it, actually. I actually don't get it. My wisdom is really flawed. And you know what? A lot of things I think are right. I look back and I've made crazy decisions. I'm really prejudiced the way I see things. I want to submit now to the wisdom of God. 
younger son, reckless ones. It's the next phase for you. You see it leads to poverty, living your own life. You come to yourself. And then what comes next for the younger son is a sense of genuine conviction. He's there feeding the pigs, looking at the pig pellets, thinking, ooh, I could do with a plate of those. I mean, you know, he's really got to like reach the low point, right? He's thinking, they look yummy, right? Yeah, that's where it's got to. But um, he's either not allowed or he won't, you know, the whole Jewish pig thing. I don't know what it is, but anyway, he doesn't eat them. And he's there, and then suddenly, then, then comes the moment of conviction where he, 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 he says, when he's rehearsing his speech to his dad, do you know what? He, he says, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He suddenly realises that he's actually, he's really sinned. It's not just, okay, made a few bad choices, you know. <laughs> the words we use are interesting, aren't we? Made a few unwise choices, sounds better, doesn't it? Then uh, was really kind of willfully sinning there. You know, it doesn't sound so good, does it? You know, so we kind of dress it up so it kind of sounds a bit like, yeah, I could have, could have done that better. Yeah, you really could. You know? I mean, we're like that. It feels better to kind of defend ourselves. But he actually comes to the point where he says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to really make it clear. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. And you know what? Reckless ones, God wants you to understand your recklessness really hurts other people. It really hurts those around you. If you're married, it hurts your spouse. It hurts your parents. It hurts your wider family, your friends, your colleagues. If you're selfish and reckless and you're, you know, you, you're just hurting people. And, and your actions and your words have hurt people. So you've got to, the spirit of God will convict you of that. And then you've got to realize, and the whole time, I have totally offended God. That's what you need. You think, oh, this, this, is this good news? It's really good news. It's really, really great news. Because watch what happens as a result of these steps taking place. Because what it does, it leads him to step out of that pig trough and really just turn around, which is repentance. It's like, okay, the recklessness was a really bad thing. I want to just be near my father again. He turns around, and we don't know how many steps he took, right? But he started the journey back. But we're told he was a long way off. So, big deal here, because I've had some reckless friends. I used to be reckless. But I have had some reckless friends since I've been a Christian, and they've said things to me like, I really want to get right with God, but I want to sort this, this, and this out first, then I'm there, then I'm with you, right? And what they're trying to do is, they're they're trying to kind of pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and then they'll be kind of you know, polish them, and then they can present themselves before God. But it's really just self-righteousness, disguised. Really, they want to present themselves before God, saying, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm here now, because, uh, well, done a few things, you know, figured a few things out. And it's just, it's not, it's not repentance. It's, not, it's just, uh, you've become an older brother. Told you about my friend, alcoholic friend, good friend, became a dear friend over the years. A proper alcoholic, you know, on a bench, you know, brown bag, bags, cans, and all, all of that, right? But became a dear, dear friend. We had so many great times together. But there was that moment where he said, I want to I follow Jesus, but I'm going to just sort the drink out. I'm like, it won't work. And then he dies of liver failure, you know, and you just think, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. You thought that. You had to sort yourself out. No. Long way off. All you really got to do is turn 
and something will happen. What happens? The father comes running. And all of that ground that you couldn't make up if you tried, he makes up the ground and he says, come here. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And while we're trying to bumble out our speech about the mistakes we've made and the things we've done wrong, he's busy calling on the, get the cloak, get the cloak, ring, sandals. You haven't got to wear sandals, it's cool. Okay? But <laughs> sandals, kill the fat and cuff. It's like, what's going on? I've come back and I've got my speech ready, but he's not even listening. He seems to be preparing a party for someone. He doesn't even care about me. The party's for you. The party's for you. What? But don't you realize? Yes, he realizes everything. Everything. In fact, your little speech about how sinful you were, do you know what? He sees, he sees really how sinful you are. I mean, he sees really how sinful you are. So, like, you think you're, you're coming clean, right? But there's 1,000 things about yourself you've never seen that are much worse than the things you've even seen. You're worse than you ever thought you were. You really are. Trust me. We are. And he sees all of that. And his response is, you're back. You're back. We need to dance. We need to get some music going. We need to eat the best food. And boy, look at your feet. You've... You've come to poverty. I want to put some shoes on there. And the son's thinking, but it was your money that I spent. I know that. Because all of the resources you've ever used in your recklessness have been his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You've wasted his gifts. His response as you turn to him is what? More gifts the heart of God. It's the Father heart of God. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's incredible. Reckless ones. Reckless ones. Wake up to this. Leaving behind your recklessness will not mean that you become a harsh, narrow, judgmental, religious Snob. Leaving behind your recklessness will mean that you get to party with God. All right? You get to celebrate with the Lord. That that you get to you get involved in this thing called grace. That all of the shame gets washed away. All of the conscience things that play. As you really just open up and follow his coaching and what to do about the terrible things and you just follow him and trust him in it, it gets cleaned away. All of the skeletons. Now the skeletons. There was an interesting illustration about... Well, <laughs> oh, it's tragic really, but someone made a phone call, an anonymous phone call, to I think it was ten people, and they said this to them. We know what you've done. You've got 24 hours to leave the town. Nine out of ten left. (laughs) 
Why? Because they had skeletons in their closet. And when they got the phone call, it was like, <gasps> someone's discovered that. I need to go. One didn't. Why? Because it's like, well, I've done things wrong, but I've come completely clean to God and to all the people that it affected. So I am invulnerable to any exposure. Amazing, isn't it? How would you respond if you got the phone call? See, the Lord wants to clear out our closets. It's what the gospel does. It's what the gospel does. It's beautiful celebration. Group two, older brothers. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts because we're in church. We're in church, so we tend to be a bit top heavy on the older brothers sometimes. There's a few more of us maybe in the room than younger ones. Who knows? So let's look at these, shall we? You see, what was it with this older brother? Well, he heard the music and he heard the dancing and he was immediately angry. Immediately angry because no one had asked him about the music and the dancing. And after all, he was entitled, was he not? There's the word, entitled. Older brothers, uh, they knew it started with grace. Oh yes, I remember years back, yes, there was uh, some grace that came, brother. And it, uh, it set me free. But really, my faithfulness to the Lord in the ensuing years has been quite remarkable. Yes, yes, some very profound experiences. Not permitted to uh, share of such things. What's happened there? What's happened there? person's become an older brother. He's moved away from grace. He's moved away. He's moved into... No one quite knows what it is. But no one wants to be like it. Do they? You're like... When are you going to stop talking? Because it's really freaking me out. They've kind of become, in and of their own mind, some kind of... Did your older brother's consumed with himself? I've never left you. I've done this. I've done that. He's so aware of the way he's poured himself out for the Lord. He's forgotten the abundant generosity of his father. It's just, it's just gone off the radar. He's not thought to himself, oh, music and dancing, dad's at it again. Yeah, fantastic. Who's he welcoming this time? Yeah? It's just, it's, it's not, that's surely the logic. You should know his dad by now. That guy doesn't stop. He's always partying. He's always loving on someone. He's always welcoming some scumbag into his house, putting the best clothes on him. I'll go down in a minute. I'll just finish the digging. Yeah, that just should be how we want. But he's lost it. He's lost the grace of God. He's much more aware of what he deserves now. No one's really asked him about it. There wasn't a, that didn't call him. Didn't, there's no, didn't talk about it, but there's music and dance. There's happiness going on, and no one asked me. Okay? God have mercy. What do, what do we need? What do older brothers need? If you're an older brother... I think you're probably more needy than the younger ones. I think you're potentially 
in bigger trouble than the younger brothers. Here's why. Because in another, in another moment where the, there was this tension with Jesus between the Pharisees and the scribes, the older brothers and the younger brothers, Jesus actually says to the Pharisees and the scribes, they enter the kingdom before you. The older brothers are in a more precarious situation. They may not be lost, but they've lost something. They've lost something and they don't know where to find it. What's needed? Well, firstly, position. To understand your position. What does the father say? This father's so kind, isn't he? I'm really so inspired. I want to be like this as a dad. He says, uh, son. Son. You are always with me. Beautiful, isn't it? You are always with me. This father's saying, even when you're out digging the field, we're together. Even when I've gone on a journey and you're there, we're about the same thing. Christian, understand your position. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you because of his grace, not because of your performance. He will not leave you. He will not let you go. Son, daughter, you are always with me. You see, the older brother had developed an isolationist mentality. Here I am, out in the field, doing this, doing that. And you can get like that as a Christian. Here I am, doing this for the Lord, doing that, doing this. No, we co-labor with Him. Am I right? We serve with Him. Son, daughter, you are always with me. You are always with me. Understand your position. You're always with Him. By his grace, by his welcome, he welcomes you. And then the next thing, he says this, all that is mine is yours. You see, now the older brother didn't get it. He's like, you've given him the calf. You didn't even give me a go. Father says, it's all yours. Have a party, invite your friends around, kill the calf. He hadn't seen it. He just didn't get it. He, didn't, he was waiting. Well, Father, what are you going to do now? It's like, well, Father's like, it's all yours. Everything I have is at your disposal. The Bible talks in such terms about Christians. All things are yours because you are Christ's and Christ is God's. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me. Now you go. I give you that authority. Now you go and make disciples. All that's mine is yours. Jesus praying to the Father, make them one as we are one. There's an incredible, mysterious, there's a unity, there's a joining together here. It's all yours. It's yours. It's yours. Ask and you shall receive. You do not have because you do not. Oh, it's yours. Just pray. It's all yours. It's all yours. Now, I'm sure that if that, if that son had kind of, you know, killed the fattened calf every day, after a week or so, the dad would say, do you know what, son? You're not even giving in the, the, the calves enough time to get fat. You're, you're going crazy. You've got to pace yourself a bit. There's wisdom that comes, right? It's all his. 
but he's under the authority. There's wisdom that comes. So it's not just like us saying, okay, all authority is yours. And so you, you go out and you say, well, look, I went out after that sermon and I, I prayed for a blind person, didn't get healed, now what's going on? Okay? Okay. Good. Good. Step out in faith. Great. Okay? But there is a growth into things. There is a wisdom coaching from the Father. Okay? So um, don't, don't sort of take it in some kind of, don't take everything being yours as kind of just permission for you to express um, impetuosity, impatience, uh, when God doesn't do everything you ask now, okay? Because he's really wise, and he's got an amazing plan for your life, and he wants to bring you into incredible things. But there is a, there is a, he's your father, okay? He's not, he's not absent, he's not irresponsible, he doesn't abdicate, he wants to coach you through, okay? So let him coach you through. But it's all yours, it's all yours, okay? Recognize your privileges. That will keep you from this kind of mentality of, here I am, out doing this, by myself. There they are, partying away. No, come into the party. Come into the party. Come into the party. Enjoy. Celebrate. And then you've got to see other people. Older brothers, see other people. See other people and learn to look upon them with the eyes of your father. Don't, whatever you do, be the person who receives mercy and then looks at others judgmentally when mercy is supposed to triumph over judgment, isn't it? So here we are saying, thank you for your mercy. I love your mercy. Look look at how could they do that. Those kinds of people really wind me up. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Mercy, mercy. Judgment, judgment. Not mercy, judgment. No. But that's what happened. The older brother, he looked upon his younger brother as just this, he's fundamentally just unworthy, unlike myself. And it's the heart of the problem. But the father tries to reason with him. Isn't these beautiful, tender words? It was fitting. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother. Your, I love this. Listen to the older brother. This son of yours, to the dad. They're both trying to say, it's yours, no, it's yours. Yeah. This son of yours. And the father says, your brother. Your brother. When someone gets saved, when someone gets rescued, when someone becomes a Christian from a really reckless background, and then God so showers them with blessings, provision, spiritual gifts, it's like they can't contain it. It's like... I don't know, Emily, Cracker Jack, you're probably too old for Cracker Jack, but that was a program where you have, to, you have to try and hold as many presents as you could without. It's like that. They've been saved two weeks, and they've got spiritual gifts coming out of their ears. They've got blessings, provisions. They even got healed from a three-year-old um, condition. I mean, it's just flowing. And there you are, doing the PA again. <laughs> PA. And the only other option was being on the words. There you are. There they are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at them with their healing. It can happen. It can happen. Oh, I see. You know, six months later. Ah, I see. Position of leadership now. Yeah. Just turn the sound up. Yeah? And it's not happening for you. And you can start, you can get a wrong thinking when rather what you should be doing is just wondering at the grace of God. Isn't that beautiful? Look at what God's done. Look at the transformation. Wow. 
And they're going to be my, one of my gospel community leaders too. It's fantastic. What grace of God. Because the grace on them is the same grace you've received, right? It's gospel grace. But under the wisdom of God, there's been a measure given to them that wasn't given to you. Or it's a season for them that's not your season. Under the wisdom of God, it's the same thing. Your brother. Rejoice and delight in your brother. Rejoice. That's the final thing. Rejoice. Rejoice. I want to conclude now. I want to say, younger brothers and older brothers, you are both invited to the party. All right? Notice something very interesting. The first step to change, or the first step in transformation for both the younger brother and the older brother was celebration. Yeah? The first step in terms of both of them actually coming to maturity was come to the party. That was the first step. To celebrate in the grace of God, to rejoice in the grace of God on your life and on those around you is the first step to coming to maturity. And you've got to stay there and learn to live in that place of celebration and delight in the grace of God. Feel the warmth in Christ. You have been welcomed home by the Father. Okay? He puts the robe of righteousness on you. He puts that ring on your finger. You are welcomed. You might think, yeah, but everyone was. It's the same for all Christians. Okay, stop. Yes, it is. But listen to this. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. One it's in the individual there. Listen to this. I tell you, there is joy before the angel of God over one sinner who repents. If you have repented of your sin and come to Jesus, there was a party in heaven. The angels were rejoicing. There was singing, dancing, fattened calves getting killed over you. How cool is that? Is it cool? I thought, I thought it was. There was this kind of Somber silence. I thought, okay, right. Okay. There was a celebration over you the day you became a Christian. And some of you have never really kind of, it's been like you never really got into the groove. Yeah? You're kind of outside looking in thinking, wow, I wish I could be invited. It was thrown for you. Okay? It was thrown. You are invited. Okay? And yes, we come repentant, but when we come repentant, there's a welcome that washes away the shame and washes away the regret. Even if you have to, day by day, live in the consequences of some of the crazy stuff you did do. Nevertheless, before God, there is complete welcome and shame and all of that stuff is washed away so you can celebrate. So even if you need to walk through tough circumstances that are a consequence of your previous sin, you can do so with deep joy. And with peace. And with a sense that it is well with your soul. Yeah? This is it. This is deep Christianity. Party. There's a homecoming. All the change that's going to take place in the heart of that younger brother and in the heart of that older brother will take place in the safety of the father's embrace, 
and in the safety of the Father's house and in the celebratory atmosphere of the party. That's where we get changed. So God's first word to you today is welcome. Welcome. The blood of Jesus has been shed for you. He has paid the price for your sins. To try to add to that with works of guilt is really a dishonor to Jesus. Okay? He's done it. It is finished. (laughs) It really is finished. So we need to celebrate, don't we? We need to sing. We need to celebrate with the bread and with the wine because our welcome is based on his sacrifice for us. That's why the Father can welcome us. One more thing. Sorry, I wasn't going to say this. And I keep saying finally, preachers have bad habit. One more thing, though. This is very important. Justification is a theological term, and it means this. It means that legally, forensically, God can declare before the council of heaven, before the accusations of Satan, before any person who's going to accuse you, God can declare in a legal sense, you are right. You are righteous. That's what justification means. God, can, God declares you righteous. Okay? God is able to do that legally and forensically because the blood of Christ was shed in your place. It was a legal transaction. But it, it doesn't end at justification. God has to deal with the forensic and the legal that his justice might be satisfied and all of that. Why? So that there can be adoption. So that there can be warm, intimate relationship. He has to deal with the problem of your sin and what that means for his holy justice and accusations and all. He has to and he does at the cross. But it doesn't just end there as some legal forensic thing. It's so that you might be welcomed into the Father's embrace and know his kindness over your life. His patience, his nurturing, his coaching, his encouraging. He wants to gather you up and walk with you. As we celebrate now, those of you that are younger brothers, and you know you've just been reckless, and you've just been, a, you've been a, you know, you've just been, you've bought into a lie that that's the thing, that's the life or whatever. Just, I want to urge you, get out of your pig's trough, turn around, and head to the Father. Head to the Father. Let him embrace you. Yeah? And then we can begin talking about how he's going to totally change your life. Okay? Older brothers, if you've become, some of the illustrations I did, you were like, ouch, that's me. Repent. Just repent. Come into the party. That's how you repent. Okay? And begin celebrating what God's doing in that person's life. Hallelujah. Pray for him. Bless it. Get behind it. Because that's how you get transformed from that. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? Band are going to help us.